In fact, we're tempted just to let you all go talking on, but we have to look at the God's Word now. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 9 today, and uh, Nick is going to be giving us uh, the message, which is really good. So I hope you're looking forward to it. So let's uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9. Okay, if you could open that up in your Bibles or your tablets or your handphones, that would be really helpful. Okay, Genesis chapter 9. So, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the animals in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish in the sea that are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with all, sorry, with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those that came out of the ark with you every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jepheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Jepheth's territory. May Jepheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Jepheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. 
This is the word of God. Everyone, it's really good to see you uh, here today. Um, and yeah, so let's uh, pray and ask God to help us uh, as we look at His Word. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, please work in us as we uh, read Your Word today. Uh, please uh, help us to uh, stay attentive. And so uh, please help me uh, to speak it clearly and faithfully as I should. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, uh, I'm not sure what you noticed, but our world is not a really good place to be. Our world is filled with evil. In the Middle East, uh, there's uh, ISIS kidnapping and, uh, and ISIS are uh, killing people there. And just in Bangkok last month, a little bit closer to home, uh, there was a major bomb blast. Many people were wounded, uh, some were killed, and, even, and there was even uh, one Singaporean uh, among, among all those people who died. So let's say you uh, knew this person. Her, her name is uh, Melissa, the one who died. Maybe you know you knew her as a Facebook friend, uh, primary school friend, or maybe a close relative. Imagine the pain uh, you had as you see your friend's name uh, in the newspaper uh, as the person who died. Her life cut short by evil. You see, evil hurts, evil destroys, evil tears away our loved ones. So is there any way that we can, we can eliminate uh, evil from this world? Is there any way for us to be uh, free uh, from evil? Well, well, maybe one way uh, is uh, to get rid of all the evil people. Then maybe uh, our world would be perfect. <coughs> so get rid of all the terrorists, get rid of IS, get rid of all the mur- murderers, get rid of all the rapists, all the people uh, that evil uses. And maybe, maybe our world would be Good, right? Because we'll be left with all the good people. We'll be left with all the good people. Imagine a world with really, really great people. There'll be no more pain, no more sadness, because everyone's doing good. No more evil. But would that really be true? Well, that's what we saw last week. Last week we saw God eliminated all the evil people. Okay, let's, uh, God said in Genesis, yeah, chapter 6, verse 7 says, that I will wipe uh, from the face of the earth the human race I have created. For I regret I have made them. So God sent a major massive flood uh, over the whole earth to destroy all the evil people on earth. And almost everyone died except one family. You see, no, God was pleased with Noah's family, so God saved Noah's family. So before the floods came, God told Noah uh, to build an ark, uh, which is like a huge, huge boat. So uh, Noah's family went into the ark uh, when the floods came. And Genesis chapter 9, the flood had gone down, all the evil people, all, all gone, and Noah's family is back on dry land. So will things uh, be the same? Has evil really been defeated? Or will things go back to how it was before the flood. Well, let's find out from Genesis chapter 9. So at the start of the Genesis chapter 9, uh, as, as uh, Pastor Andrew was reading, I'm not sure if you noticed uh, that it's, it sounds really, really good. It sounds really, really positive. It's like there's a fresh start in, there's a fresh start, there's a restart uh, between uh, man and God. There's this new relationship between man and God. 
And I'll show you three aspects uh, between this uh, new in this new relationship. So firstly, God blesses. Secondly, God commands. And thirdly, God provides. God blesses, God commands, God provides. So let's look at the first point. Uh, look with me at Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. Yeah, isn't it amazing what it says? Then God blessed Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So in this, in this bit, we see God still blesses mankind. God blesses mankind. So now with God blessing mankind, mankind has a fighting chance to do well, to do well on earth. And next, uh, it's very similar. Uh, God commands. So God's blessing is linked to this uh, command. So the command is, so in chapter 9 verse 1, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So three times it's saying the same thing. Let's multiply. I have many, many babies and multiply. Uh, something like what we're having in Singapore, right? Yeah, so this command uh, really, really makes sense because Noah's family, uh, Noah, his three sons and all their wives, so maybe a total of eight people, these are the, these are the only people left on earth. So they need to increase in number so they can fill the whole earth. And thirdly, uh, God provides. So it's, it's really good for people to increase in number. Right? But if there isn't enough food, if there's not enough food, then and increasing the population uh, just increases the problem. All right, so God provides them with food. Yeah, food. So let's uh, look at verse 3. That's what verse 3 says. Okay, uh, let me read it for you. Everything that lives and moves about will be, will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. God provides food for his new people. But something I want you to notice about these uh, three things. So if you join us at the very start of this Genesis series, uh, do you notice something familiar? God blesses, God commands, God provides food. Sounds familiar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we saw all these three things uh, in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, I'll, I'll have you on the slide. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, what's going on here is God is blessing Adam and Eve, and God commands Adam and Eve to be fruitful. So in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said, said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God blessed them. God commands them to be fruitful. And in verse 29, God provides them with food. So you see what it says? Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So God doesn't just bless them. God doesn't just command them. God gives them food so that they can uh, do uh, be fruitful and increase. So that sounds really, really similar right, to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, God blesses, God uh, commands, God provides. So what? So what's going on here is that God is actually creating a new relationship. God is start, restarting his relationship with mankind. In both passages, God blesses humanity. In both passages, God commands humanity to be to increase. In both passages, God gives them food. So Noah's family here, 
in chapter 9 is now God's new people. They are, they have a, they're just like Adam and Eve right at the start of Genesis was God's people then. Genesis chapter 9, Noah and his family are God's new people. But I want to show you some, I want to uh, show you something that's uh, interesting. You see, God is a gracious God. God didn't have to save Noah's family. God didn't have to save any one in humanity. God didn't have to save Jonah. Uh, Noah, I mean. So God could have restarted, restarted uh, from, from Eden. Oh yeah, so Jonah is also thrown into the sea. Yeah, so it's a bit confusing. Yeah, so God didn't have to save Noah. He could have destroyed all of them, everyone. Then maybe he could choose, okay, maybe uh, let's restart this whole Eden project. Or maybe he can choose, uh, yeah, these humans, it's such a, it's such a simple bunch. Maybe I just, I, just move on with life, lah. Just ignore them. But God didn't. God still graciously blesses. God still graciously commands. God still graciously provides for men. It's a fresh start, and my, man has a really great chance in surviving. But, but not everything is the same, is it? Not everything is the same. The relationship between man and animals, that has changed. That relationship is broken. So just uh, look back uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 on the slide. So it says in in verse 28 that uh, humans are meant to rule over animals. Rule over animals. But in Genesis chapter 9, what happened to that relationship? Genesis chapter 9 says animals now fear men. So look at me, look with me to Genesis chapter 9 verse 2. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth, on the birds in the sky, and on every creature that moves along the ground, and on the fish in the sea. Animals fear men. But why is that fear then? Why do animals fear men? The rest of us too, the tree says, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. So the animals fear men because men can eat the animals. God allows men to eat the animals. But God still cares for the animals. God still cares for life. He cares for life because he created life. So if uh, we recklessly take life, we kill, some, kill something or kill someone just for fun, God will be really, really angry. So that's why God commands her in verse 4. Uh, chapter 9, verse 4. He says, but you must not eat meat that still that has his lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans their blood shall be shed. As by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made, man, made mankind. So what we see here is God hates reckless life taking. This means, right, that uh, God hates uh, killing just for fun, like uh, killing. Uh, anyone knows this this lion? Okay, it's not it's not like Simba, right? It's Cecil the lion. God, so what happened to Cecil the lion is that some uh, hunter went to uh, shoot. Shoot him, shoot it, uh, I think probably with a bow and arrow, and now this lion is dead. So God hates this kind of killing just for fun, just for sport. And God will demand a reason, God will demand an accounting 
from everything we kill, of animals, especially of men. So if you kill an animal or kill, an, kill someone else, God will ask you, why do you kill the animal? Why do you kill that person? God will demand a reason. So if you kill a chicken, let's say, to, to eat, then that's fine, because God provided us animals to eat. If you kill that person because, because he was going to kill your family, so if you didn't kill him, he would have killed your family, then that's fine. But if you kill an animal, if you kill someone just for fun, then God will be against you. But I want you to think of another question. Why does God highlight this one command? Why doesn't God say, why doesn't God highlight other commands like um, worship God only or uh, don't commit adultery or honor your father and mother? Why does God focus on this one command? Why do not kill? I think God did that because, uh, because of Cain and Lamech in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, uh, Cain killed, Cain killed his brother Abel because he was angry. So uh, it says here, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain killed, attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And later on, his descendant Lamech killed someone for uh, maybe possibly uh, slightly hurting him or even saying, or maybe making fun of him uh, verbally. And this is what Lamech said. Lamech said to his wives, uh, Ada and Zillah, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. So friends, what we see in Genesis uh, chapter 4 is that man struggles with this sin. Man keeps killing uh, each other. So God has commanded his new people uh, to stop, to not kill another human being. To stop people from killing each other. So what we have seen so far in Genesis chapter 9 is, is really, really positive, right? God is gracious in creating a new human, a new human uh, race through Noah's family. And he commands uh, them not to kill each other. And next, we see that God who makes promises uh, and he keeps his promises. So God makes a really, really important promise in verse 11, uh, chapter 9, verse 11. Uh, look at verse 11 with me. So do you see what that promise is? It says, Never again will life be destroyed by the floods, uh, by waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God promises to never ever send such a massive, massive flood. Again, a flood that will destroy all of life and all the earth. Yeah, okay, so uh, this uh, this promise isn't just like say say only. Yeah. So you see, right? Okay, this uh, the word used right this in this section is the word covenant. The word that you use to use to describe God's promise is the word covenant. Okay. So uh, I, the next slide. Okay, you probably can't see this very clearly, but I try to highlight the word covenant for you. Okay. So you can see in almost every verse. So there are seven times like, if you count seven times. This word is used. So this is a really, really major word. But what does this word covenant, what does what's covenant mean? So covenant uh, means like having a contract, contractual agreement with someone, having an agreement with someone. So uh, both uh, both parties have like some responsibilities in this contract. 
So okay, uh, some of you know, uh, Chime is getting married soon, right? At some point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, she will, she will be, so she and Minkit, uh, one of the things they're doing is that they're looking out for a house. You're looking out for a house, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's say, uh, they, they, they decide, okay, I, I think, I think, uh, Keith, right? Keith can build, can make clothes, so I'm sure he can, he can make houses too. So let's say they went, they're going to hire, they hire Keith, uh, to build a house for them. So they'll have a contract, right? So they tell Keith, Keith, okay, so uh, on this contract, you'll build a house for me, a very, very nice house, uh, nice, very, very big house. And if you finish the house, I'll pay you one million dollars. Okay, so, and then they sign this contract. So both, so, um, if once the house is complete, so Keith has to build a house. And once the house is complete, uh, Minkit and she may have, have to pay him one million dollars. Okay, so this contract, right? Uh, it's not like say say only. So this contract is more binding uh, than a verbal promise, because there's proof. There's proof of this agreement. Both parties have agreed and they have signed on this agreement. So in Genesis chapter nine, when God makes a covenant, God makes a contract with Noah and all the creatures. Actually, God is entering into a promise. God is entering into a uh, very very firm uh, promise that He'll never never send. A massive flood ever again. Is there a proof that God made this promise? Oh yes, there is. There is proof. Uh, what is that proof? So if you look uh, at Genesis chapter nine, it says over and over again, it's the rainbow. So let me, let me read some verses for you. So listen to uh, what God says in verse twelve. Verse twelve: This is a sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all the generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this rainbow, this rainbow is a sign uh, uh, that God has made this promise. So what happens every time God sees this rainbow? What does he do? Does he like take out his, I don't know, his smartphone and like, uh, take a selfie like that? Yeah, then like, yeah, then take a picture of that rainbow. That's, no, right? He doesn't. That's what we do, but that's not what God does. See, Let's look at verse 14. Let's see what God does uh, when he sees a rainbow. Verse 14. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. I'll remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. And also in verse 16. Whenever the, the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So what happens when God sees the rainbow? When God sees the rainbow, he remembers. He remembers his promise not to destroy the earth. Okay, so this uh, remembering doesn't mean right that uh, God uh, forgot his covenant and needs like a like Google reminder right, to remind him every now and then. So he sets a, a rainbow. Because at the time, no Google, right? So he sets a rainbow reminder every now and then. Uh, no, that's not, what, that's not uh, what remembering means. So a few uh, months ago, Andrew Reed said at this uh, Project Timothy conference, he says, when the Bible uh, speaks of uh, God remembering, it actually means God acts. God acts on uh, some of his promises. God acts on his covenant. So in Genesis chapter 9, when God sees the rainbow, God acts. God acts on his covenant uh, not to destroy the earth. So, And you see, God didn't have to give us this uh, sign of this covenant. 
See, God should just say, okay, I'm God. I'm going to make, I'm going to set the rules. I'm going to just give the, I'm going to make a promise and you can just believe me. And God could have just done that, just with a promise. But what, but what God does is that He gives us a visible sign. A visible sign that you and I also can see. A visible sign that we know that God has made His promise. So one uh, sign that we use today uh, in, in a in, uh, promise, and maybe a, a covenant, uh, is this ring, the wedding band. A, this wedding band is a sign of a covenant of marriage. So I, get, I think half of you uh, weren't there when, when I got married, right? And some of you weren't there when uh, Colin and I got married uh, in 2013, so it's two years already. Two years, right? so fast. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of you weren't there, uh, but how, so how would you know that Collie and I got married? How you know that Collie is off the shelf, you stand no chance already, right? So you know because, uh, we are, we wear our wedding bands. We, we, we wear a sign of our marriage. Oh, she forgot to wear. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sure, I'm sure she has it somewhere. So yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, the wedding band is a sign of this uh, marriage covenant. So just as this wedding band is a sign of this marriage covenant, the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. A God who makes promises and a God who, who makes sure that you keep them. So we call this promise-keeping God a faithful God. He's faithful to keep his promises. So he's faithful from Noah's time not to send a flood, all the way to our time today. So we, you and I, benefit from this covenant also. That's why God has sent a massive, massive flood to destroy all of life. We can trust God to keep this promise to us. God has kept it for millions of, oh, no, not millions, many, many years up to today. We can trust God to keep that promise. And if God can keep this promise, we can trust God to keep all his other promises too. God is a faithful God. God is a faithful God. Okay, let's uh, sum up all that we've seen so far. So we've seen how God graciously starts over with man. God, uh, okay, so there's a slide here. So God blesses them. Uh, God gives them commands uh, to multiply. Uh, God provides, provides them with food. God provides them with commands uh, not to kill uh, each other like Cain and Lamech. And that's not all, right? God even adds on uh, this uh, promise. God gives them a promise, a promise to never ever destroy them with a flood. Okay, so there are so many things going on for men, I can't even fit them all properly into one slide. So it's all like quite messed up, right? It looks very, very confusing. But this is what, this is everything that God has given men. There's so many good things. So Noah's family have a lot going for them. God is on their side. Wicked men are all, all gone. So this is a really, really positive beginning, right? Man, surely will be okay, right? But we see that that's not the case. Just a few verses after God makes, God finishes His promise, things don't sound that good anymore. So the writer gives us some warnings uh, that something bad is going to happening. That something bad is going to happen. So you can almost hear uh, the low music playing in the background. So I'm going to read uh, verse 18 to verse 21. See if you can notice. Uh, some of these warnings. See if you can notice some of these warnings or something bad happening that's going to happen. The sons of Noah 
who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three sons of these are, were the three sons of Noah, and from them came people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard, and when he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered or lay naked inside his tent. <coughs> so do you notice do you notice uh, the warnings in this passage? There are a few warnings. So firstly, uh, there's Canaan. Canaan. So the, uh, verse uh, 18 says, Ham was the father of Canaan. And then we read on in uh, Genesis. Actually, oops. Yeah, actually, Cain, uh, it was actually uh, Shem, Ham, Ham, yeah. Ham uh, had, other, other, had other sons. But verse 18 just mentions Canaan. Canaan is a very, very bad name. Uh, we'll, we'll see that in a while. Uh, it's a warning of something bad is going to happen. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that at the end of this passage. Okay, let's look at the next thing. Next thing is uh, something in verse 19. Uh, at the end of verse 19 it says, scattered over the whole earth. So this is a warning about something that we'll see uh, next week. Uh, if, if, if you do join us in chapter 11. Where God judges the people and scatters them over the whole earth. And the last two hints are about, the last two warnings are about Noah getting drunk and getting naked. So getting drunk in the Bible is always a, a negative thing. And being naked, uh, especially after Genesis 3, is always a shameful and bad thing. Okay, so there are these four warnings that something bad is going to happen, and what happens next? Let me read uh, from verse uh, 22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Jephthah took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah arose from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, Okay, just uh, pause here for a moment. So verse 22 tells us that Ham comes along, he sees his father, Noah, naked, and he goes out to tell his brothers. And verse 24, uh, it says that Noah found out what his youngest son had done to him. Okay, so the, the language here is a bit uh, ambiguous, what actually happened. So uh, some commentators feel that what Ham did uh, actually uh, might be uh, probably is a bit more than just see uh, his father naked. Yeah, so the verse 24 tells us something that uh, Ham might have done something to Noah. Okay, so it's a bit ambiguous, uh, but I think that's what happened. So uh, Ham might have done something humiliating uh, to Noah. So after that, he, tell, he goes out to tell his brothers. So after he tells his brothers, Ham's two brothers, Shem and Jephthah, they didn't even want to look at Noah naked. So they walked backwards towards their father and they made sure that they were facing the opposite direction from where, they their, where their father was. Make sure they weren't looking at their father naked. And then they covered him. And what happens next? What happens next is Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan. 
Verse 25 says, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. But Noah blessed Shem and Japheth. Verse 26 uh, says, He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. So Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan. Noah curses Ham, uh, Ham's son, Canaan, to be slaves of Shem and Jehav. And many, many years later, God will command uh, Israel, descendants of Shem, uh, to get rid of the people of Canaan from the land. And some of the people of Canaan do become uh, the slaves of the Israelites. Okay, so what's going on in this passage? Or how are we to understand, how should we understand this passage? So in our first, uh, very first section, I try to show you uh, how it's very, very similar to Genesis chapter 1, where God's creating a new people. God's restarting this relationship. But what's going on here is, it sounds really much like Genesis chapter 3, where man sinned against God. So I want to show you two ways where this sounds like uh, Genesis chapter 3. So firstly, Human relations are strained. Human relationships are strained. The relationships between Noah and son Ham strained because of uh, Noah, uh, because of Ham uh, looking at Noah naked, because Noah cursed Ham. This sounds really much like Genesis, Genesis chapter three, where the relationship between Adam and Eve was strained when Adam blamed Eve. So let me read from uh, Genesis chapter three, verse eleven, it's up to the slides. And he got. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, the woman, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. See, this is the blame game has started all the way in Genesis chapter 3. And that relationship is strained, just like the relationship is strained in Genesis chapter 9. And the second thing I want to show you is the more important thing. Second thing is that uh, there is still death. So in Genesis chapter 9, it ends off uh, with this verse. Uh, in verse 29, it says, uh, Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. Up here on the slide, in Genesis chapter 3, God cursed man with death because man disobeyed him. So uh, let me read verse 19 for you. By the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you, you will return. This verse says, because you did not obey me, because we did not, because Adam did not obey God, God has cursed all of humanity with death. So even after the flood, even in this new, new, uh, new relationship between man and man and God, death is still there. The curse of sin is still there. So the, so the flood really didn't solve man's sin problem. Man is still sinful after the flood. Just a few verses after God gives a covenant, God gives a promise not to destroy the earth, they sin. Now, Noah, start, uh, Noah started in Genesis as a really, really great guy. Okay, So if, if you were here last week, you have seen this. It says, uh, The Lord saw 
the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So this is like all the bad stuff of everyone is bad, all humanity is bad. In verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And verse 9, This is an account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among, all, among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had favor with God. So when God got rid of all the evil people, God saved Noah and his family, the best of the best, the best of all humanity, to restart, to start again with us. And what happened in Genesis chapter 9? You see that Noah's family is still sinful. The flood destroyed all the wicked people, but the flood didn't solve the problem of sin. Man is still sinful. So we need a solution to, to the sin inside us. And, and it's really, really difficult to, to solve this problem. It's really, really difficult. So I, I think most of you will know that elections just happened last Friday. So during the lead-up to this, uh, uh, during the lead-up, many uh, parties made promises, right? So some people said, return your our CPF or something. Uh, some people uh, tried to solve this uh, economic or this social problem in Singapore. But no party can solve the problem of sin. So they can come up with laws uh, that will make uh, sin illegal. So they might come up with laws that make a murder illegal. They might come up with laws that make uh, thefts illegal. But these laws cannot solve the problem of sin in our hearts. Okay, so you might say, okay, maybe... Uh, maybe that's maybe uh, we can't look at uh, this political world. Maybe all the Christians should uh, should move move from wherever they are to form a new country, to form their new country, and uh, everything will be fine, right? Everything will be good. Well, friends, someone tried that before. Oh, in the U.S., some people did try to set up their own city where they would be free from uh, the e- from the evils of this world, away from all the sinners in this world, a city where God was their ruler. And he did. So this city uh, is called uh, Zion City. So it's in the US. It's set up in uh, 1901. Unfortunately, just a few years after it started, sin was there. And not just uh, in the ordinary uh, people, right? Sin was there in their founder. See, their founder actually sold them land, and sold them sham bonds, and after he spent all the money, and then he sold them more sham bonds to try to, gain, to, try to earn more money. And uh, soon after, the city became uh, bankrupt. Or very close to bankrupt, uh, bankruptcy. So you see, you can, take, you can take man out of a sinful situation, but you cannot take the sinful heart out of man. You can take man out of sin, but you cannot take sin out of man. You are all sinful. We are all sinful. So earlier on, I'm not sure how uh, you rated yourself in the icebreaker question. So between Hitler and Mother Teresa, where are you? So if you look at Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9 is actually here serving us as a mirror. A mirror to show us who we really are. A mirror to show us what we need. And Genesis chapter 9 shows us Just as Noah and his family were sinful, all of us descended from Noah and his family. We are all sinful. 
we are all sinful. So we are actually at, at, we are, we are at one. Uh, we are at the number, we are rating number one. We are, where we are almost as sinful. We are, we are, in God's eyes, we are as sinful as Hitler. We can't solve this sin problem ourselves. We can't. We are stuck. We are stuck in sin. But is there a way out for us? Oh yes, there is. The first Peter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18 says, yeah, it's up here on the slides. So he says, uh, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And he was put to death in the body, a mere life, in the spirit. And so in Romans, uh, that we, we went through, uh, we went through earlier this year, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 to 7 says, If we knew, if we know that our for we know our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So for all of us who have trusted Jesus, who have trusted in Jesus' death, we are saved from sin. We trust that Jesus' death has paid for our sin. So we can all have a relationship with God. We can all be God's people. So if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you have received uh, what Jesus has given you, be thankful. Or you may ask, why should I be thankful? Why should I be thankful? But Genesis chapter 9 says, you should be thankful because you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You don't deserve anything from God. But God saves you uh, out of His mercy and out of His goodness. So friends, we need, we, let's thank God uh, for saving us uh, for, from sin into a relationship with Him so that you and I, we become His new people. Uh, but if you have not put your trust in Jesus, uh, we, I hope that you keep finding out more about who this Jesus is. I hope that uh, you, you, be, you, you see from Genesis 9 that you, like Noah, are a sinner. And you need Jesus. You need Jesus to save you from the sin that's in you. Uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you for showing us that, uh, showing us uh, who we really are, so that when we know who we really are, we can, uh, we know what solution we need. And we thank you for giving us Jesus, who saves us from our sins. And Father, calls us to be thankful and trust in Jesus more. If you ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so what we have now is a uh, yes, uh, time of Q&A. So if, if you have uh, uh, any questions or, uh, about Genesis chapter 9 or anything I've said, uh, yeah, you can, you can uh, ask your questions now. Anyone has any questions? Yes? Can we kill mosquitoes? <laughs> yeah, cause yeah, yeah. I also always kill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if so, if God asks you, uh, uh, can I kill? Why did you kill that mosquito? Uh, we might say I killed that mosquito because uh, that mosquito uh might 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 pass a dengue to me. Yeah. I I don't I don't know which mosquito it is, right? 
right? So I don't know this mosquito has, has this dengue virus. So uh, I know that mosquitoes are harmful, so they spread uh, dengue and other sicknesses. So I don't, I don't want, I don't want to have them, lah. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. So same with cockroaches, right? So uh, cockroaches uh, spread diseases. Yeah, so we we don't we don't want to have them around. Yeah, so if they are if they are, uh, I mean if they are in in your in your house, you want them. I mean you don't want them to be spreading sicknesses in your house, so you you want to kill them, lah. Yeah, yeah, a spreading fear in your house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it what? Stick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, so the question is, can we eat blood? Okay, is that? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if so, it's quite. I mean, it's for Chinese, it's quite 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 a big thing, right? Because like some people, some of you eat like pig's blood, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh uh. I want to say that uh, the the Bible isn't hundred percent clear on on this on this uh, issue. Yeah. So uh, what happens is okay. So in the in the New Testament, uh, Acts chapter fifteen. Uh, so in Acts chapter fifteen, what what happens is that uh, people are so the, the the a lot of the Gentiles, a lot of the non-Jews are becoming Christians. So then the Jews are thinking, oh no, then uh, should they should they be keeping should they be circumcised should they be keeping the law or not? So what? Uh, so the Jews met together, and then they came out with uh, some guidelines on what what not to do, la. So one of the things that they say you uh, people shouldn't do is we, people shouldn't eat blood. Yeah. Yeah, but how, how I understand it is uh, is that this is that some of the things in that list uh, in that whole list in Acts chapter fifteen is actually related is actually related to uh, worshiping idols. So the eating of the blood is also part of this worshiping idols. Thing in in that in that culture. So, uh, what what the apostle is saying in Acts 15 is, if you become Christians, stop stop being part of uh, idol worship, stop uh, participating in all forms of idol worship. So in, in that time, uh, includes uh, eating of eating of blood. Yeah, yeah. but the but the Christ, but Christians are not hundred uh, percent uh, united on on this. Yes. Uh, yeah. I saw. For for me personally, I I think that uh, for me to be saved, I need to believe in Jesus, and I I don't have I'm, I'm saved not because I keep rules. I save I'm saved because of what Jesus has done for me, and not because of whether I eat blood or not. Yeah, so I think I, I think eating blood is okay, but I know that I know uh, for some of you maybe like for taste or health reasons you won't do that lah. Yeah, I think it's fine. We all got a question? Yeah. yeah anyone else? Uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yep, yep. Mm-mm. Okay, so uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 4, it says, uh, But you must not eat uh, meat with lifeblood in it, for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand... Accounting for every animal, for every uh, human being too. Our demand uh, accounting for life of a human human being. Yeah. So in, th- in this passage, right, it seems that uh, this so this is like the 
this God warning people about uh about about uh eating 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 meat with uh, life blood in it. I think this passage is this this passage is here to show us uh how much God values life. Yeah, how much God values life. So earlier on, right in verse three, it says that like, God uh everything that moves lives and moves about will be food for you. So I I think though so if that's the case, right? Then the only it seems like the only reason that uh I mean that we can legitimately kill some animals. Uh, one one legitimate reason is that we kill it we kill it for food. Yeah. So if I kill a, I kill an animal for food, uh, and God asks me why do you kill the animal? I say I, I killed it because I want to eat it. Uh, I think that's fine. But let's say if you killed an animal for fun. And God asks you, why do you kill the animal that I created? Then you say, oh, I, I killed it for fun. I think it's, it's not, I think you're like making, you are uh, degrading uh, God's creation, uh, degrading something that God made. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, I mean, it sounds quite, sounds quite uh, negative lah, to me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But if, let's say I kill, a, I mean, if you need target practice, I mean, you might as well make a target lah. Or like shoot, I know clay, clay pigeons or something. Yeah, don't have to shoot an actual animal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like a poem, is it? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay, so, uh, sorry, I don't know why why it's written. Like in the NIV, it looks like a poem, lah. Like uh, uh, there are four lines there. Uh, I I can't I I do not know why it's written like that. Uh, yeah, but verse the important thing in verse six, which I didn't say, uh, is he, he uh, the writer gives like a, a additional reason why you shouldn't kill another human being. You shouldn't take another human's life like easily, lah. Yeah. So the reason is that uh, all all human beings are made in God's image. Yeah. So that uh yeah. So I didn't say this, but if you kill uh, someone made in God's image, right? It means that you are uh, you are opposing God. In two thousand, okay, so this one uh, I, I had it in the in my in the text, but I didn't read it out just now. Yeah. So uh, in two thousand twelve, right? Uh, there was some terrorists managed to uh, attack a U.S. embassy uh, in what's that place? Okay, some U.S. one of the U.S. embassies in the Middle East. Right? Let's see, Libya. Libya. So they, they attacked this U.S. embassy in Libya and they killed the U.S. ambassador. Yeah. So this, this is a really, really big thing right? because you kill the U.S. ambassador, right? You're not killing like a, a normal human being like, off the street. Okay, that, that is very, very serious. But you're killing the U.S. ambassador. So when you kill the U.S. ambassador, you actually, you actually mean that you are opposing the whole U.S. or you are enemy of U.S. So, so uh, when... Chapter 9, uh, verse 6 says, uh, man is made of the image of God. Saying that man, you and I, actually like God's ambassadors on earth. So if I kill another human being uh, for, for fun, for sport, uh, actually I am uh, I'm destroying, I'm opposing God. I'm destroying someone made in God's image. 